The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. You are a visionary. You have a vision. You just need to create it and bring it to life. Welcome to Visionary Leader Extraordinary Life with your host, Kate Ebner. Our program will be an hour of inspiration from leaders who are making their visions happen and will set you on the path to having a big impact through your leadership and the life you really want. Now here's your host, Kate Ebner. Good morning. It's April and spring is really here. I hope you're enjoying this beautiful time of the year. You know, the great photographer and environmentalist Ansel Adams once said, In wisdom gathered over time, I've found that every experience is a form of exploration. This idea makes it the floors of every one of us. And I think the idea that every experience is a form of exploration is really worth thinking about. We've dedicated the entire month of April to the theme of exploration and the role it plays in creating vision and expanding possibilities, not only for you as an individual, but for humanity and for the Earth. We'll be featuring one National Geographic Society explorer each week this month, and I really hope you won't miss a single interview. They are fascinating people with vision that inspires and astonishes me kick off this series and provide the big picture that guides exploration at National Geographic Society. I'm joined by my guest this morning, Executive Vice President Terry Garcia. Terry leads the Society's core mission programs, which support and manage more than 400 scientific field research, conservation, and exploration projects annually. I think of him as being in charge of the most adventurous and exciting programs and ideas that we associate with the National Geographic Society, the ones that really capture our imagination. Welcome to the show this morning, Terry. Thanks very much, Kate. It's a pleasure to be here. Well, I'm so glad you've joined us. And, you know, I've been following in the past week the news of James Cameron's exploration of the deepest part of the bottom of the sea. And I know that you were involved in this, the National Geographic Society, you were involved in this venture. Tell us, what does that achievement mean for us all? And what part did you guys play? Well, uh, I'm, I'm glad you asked. <laughs> This is a this is a project that uh, I've been involved with and that the society's been involved with for about eight years now. Jim <clears throat> Jim first came to us almost nine years ago and presented this idea the the notion that we would go to the deepest point on the planet and uh, we immediately embraced that idea, uh, but obviously it took us a while to uh, to to achieve it. Uh, and you know, the reason we were, were we were so captivated by this is that it's it's been 50 years, more than 50 years now, uh, since we have visited this deepest point on our planet. And if you think about it, the the question really is why? Why, why did it take us 50 years? Uh, you know, in that intervening time. Uh, We've had 12 men walk on the moon. Uh, some 500 individuals have orbited the planet. And yet, until last week, we had visited the deepest point on our planet, in our backyard, only once. 
And so mm. we felt that it was, it was time to go back because we know so little about it. Uh, and the significance of what Jim Cameron achieved, uh, and by the way, Jim is an explorer in residence here at National Geographic, mm-hmm. is that he opened, he really opened the door to, I, I, I feel, a new age of exploration. Uh, we know so little about the ocean. Uh, we've explored only a tiny fraction of it, and it's often said that, you know, that we know more about the surface of the moon or of Mars than we do about the ocean, our backyard. And so for us, this was a significant step forward. This was using technology to uh, begin really a, a, to usher in a new age of exploration. And I've often said to people that I think that the 21st century is going to be the greatest age of exploration and discovery in the history of mankind. And this, this is an example of what I mean. It's technology, technology opening doors to us that have been closed for, uh, for millennia uh, are finally now accessible to humans. You know, I think what you said is just so important. And, um, you know, it seems obvious in a way that we would be exploring you know, the depths of the sea, um, you know, even potentially before traveling to other planets, yet here we are, you know, making this this first trip. It's just, you know, a, a thrill to watch it happening and to understand um, that the age of exploration is upon us. I think that runs contrary to some of the conventional thinking. In fact, Terry, as I was preparing for our conversation today, I was finding so many articles and perspectives saying that everything's been discovered. What do you think of that? Well, I think you know what my answer is. Um, <laughs> this, as I say, I, I, I really do think this is the, the beginning of a new age of exploration. And it's technology that's, that's giving us access now to these opportunities. And, you know, whether it's being able to descend to the deepest point on the planet or to use technology to perhaps peer below the surface of the desert and find uh, lost uh, ruins of an ancient civilization or using, uh, for example, medical technology to image Egyptian mummies so that we can better understand uh, the role of health and disease in, in that ancient society. Uh, we're only just scratching the surface. Uh, there are so many things that uh, are open to us now. There are so many questions that we don't have answers to uh, that over the next century we're going to be able to, to explore those, uh, those questions and hopefully, uh, you know, answer some of the or provide answers to some of those questions. I, I will tell you that in, in exploration, Oftentimes what we find uh, is that while we may answer one question uh, in the process, we pose another question as a result of that, uh, that exploration. And so it's a, it's a process of, of continual discovery and uh, quest. You know, I, I, I like the way that you said that. It's a process of continual discovery and quest and that one question could open up another one. And it reminds me of Einstein's quote, you know, how do I work? I grope. You know, this idea that the more you know, the more you don't know, I think is, is what you're saying. Well, precisely. And just, you know, to, to return to the um, uh, Cameron uh, expedition, the Deep Sea Challenge expedition, uh, this is not a one-time event. Uh, the, the sub that was constructed here, uh, the submersible, 
uh, is designed to make repeated dives. Uh, this was not a stunt. Uh, it wasn't just to go down and touch the bottom and say that we'd been there, but rather uh, this this will be the beginning of a series of expeditions to explore the deepest regions of the ocean. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll continue to explore the uh, area of the Marianas Trench. You know, it's a massive area. Uh, the uh, submersible had to descend approximately seven miles, and just to, to put that in perspective for people, uh, you could fit in, into the, the canyon, uh, you could fit uh, Mount Everest, uh, as well as a lesser alp, and still not break the surface of the ocean. Uh, hmm. So we're talking about uh, a long way down. Uh, it took uh, two and a half hours uh, for the descent. Uh, and this canyon is the size of the Grand Canyon. I mean, it, it's huge. And so uh, we were able to explore uh, for about three hours. And so it, it's, you know, we, we got a tiny glimpse of that system, of that uh, landscape, which is a, a truly alien landscape, uh, and one that I, even though we visited this 50 years ago, uh, this is the first time we're really having an opportunity to see that landscape. Because, you know, when the, when the first individuals made that trip, Don Walsh and Jacques Picard, in their bathosphere, uh, the Trieste, uh, when they uh, reached the bottom, uh, their, their submersible, which was a, a very heavy, massive thing, uh, stirred up so much silt that mm. their vision was obscured for the 20 minutes that they were down there. And so, in a sense, um, this is the first opportunity to truly survey that region. Uh, and we're going to be going back. Uh, we were able to obtain some samples on this trip, uh, sediment, rock, uh, as well as, as water samples that will be analyzed. Uh, and as you can imagine, because National Geographic was involved, uh, we also have lots and lots and lots of uh, visual images. Uh, mm-hmm. We uh, equip this sub with uh, some amazing imaging technology, 3D cameras, and a lighting system uh, that has the capacity uh, in clear water to light up uh, at least 100 feet. Fantastic. And what did it look like down there for the listeners who might not have been following the story? Well, it's a, it's a very uh, barren, sort of bleak uh, landscape. Uh, but I, I'd, I'd also caution that, you know, we were only there for three hours, and so we don't, we, we can't, we can't draw conclusions from just that uh-huh. one visit. And uh, what we're hoping to do is uh, have a series of these expeditions where we'll begin to survey and catalog what we see. Uh, but the, the achievement of just being able to go down, of, and, and this is a remarkable achievement, and it was also a, a very challenging one, um, is significant in and of itself. Uh, that we went down, it was successful, uh, the sub is now ready to make a return visit. It, it is. It's. I mean, I was reading about the expedition and about the results, and um, 
had some sense of the planning and that I, I didn't realize it was eight years of planning that went into that trip. But I love to hear you describe it. I think that, um, you know, part of our show was really talking about vision and then, then not only having vision, but actually making it happen. And I think there's that lag time between the idea and the realization of the vision that is about planning and moving forward, solving problems and, and getting there. And so I, I think this is a wonderful kind of capsule of, of that idea. Um, I'm curious, Terry, as I, as I have thought about not only this expedition, but as I've been talking to some of your other explorers, it, I wonder, um, is there a particular quality or, or mindset that explorers have that might differentiate them from other, other people, other leaders? Well, yes. I mean, they, first of all, they're all different. Uh, so it's hard to... It's hard to, to put them in one category, yeah. Them. Um, but I would say they, they are different. Uh, they, they, um, they are all, uh, I, I think it's fair to say, very focused. Uh, they are, many of them, obsessed with a particular idea. Uh, they are all very brave uh, and curious. I mean, you know, ex- basically, uh, exploration is curiosity acted upon. And so that's what these people are doing. Uh, but the, the, the single quality that I see over and over and over again is that these individuals are focused, determined. Uh, they are uh, oftentimes single-minded in their quest. Uh, you know, failure is not an option with them. They are just going to keep trying until they do it. Fantastic. Well, we have just a minute before we take our first break, um, but I, I would love if you could just give us an example of, uh, or maybe just tell us about the initiatives going on at National Geographic right now, the big initiatives that I know you're working with. Well, we have uh, a number of them. We've just talked about one. Um, we are in the process, and this is something that I'm, I'm very focused on right now, of expanding our, our exploration enterprise. Uh, I want to see National Geographic recognized globally as the leader in exploration. And so we're in the process of setting up regional centers that will fund uh, scientists around the world to go out and pursue uh, basic field research, uh, exploration, as well as conservation initiatives. I love it. So you you want to you want to really be able to do this at the regional level, um, well, different exactly. Well, what I yeah. tell what I tell my staff is that I want us to own exploration. Uh, <laughs> I want us to be recognized as the leader, and that uh, this century, uh, which will be such a great century for exploration, is one that will play a, a key role in. We're going to take a break right now, and when we come back, Terry, I'm hoping we can talk about you and the career that you've created that's actually landed you in this fascinating position you're in today. We'll be right back. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now, toll-free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. Think of the world 50 years ago. 
Now think of this same world and how it'll be 50 years from now. Did you know that if the world's population continues to grow at its current rate, our children and grandchildren will only have 25% of the resources per capita that our parents and grandparents had? We must preserve the foundation of a quality standard of living. That foundation starts with Go Green Radio. Join your host, Jill Buck, for Go Green Radio every Friday at noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific on Voice America. Each week, Jimmy Gould brings you the stories and the people that you want to hear about. Tune in to A Current Life to hear about the journey to success, how our guests became the people they are today, and the highs and lows they experienced along the way. Each hour will leave you inspired and entertained as Jimmy gets up close and personal with every week's guest and shares ideas you can identify with and apply to your own life. A Current Life with Jimmy Gould airs Fridays at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. You're listening to Visionary Leader Extraordinary Life with host Kate Ebner. We'd love to hear from you. Pick up your phone and call into 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. If you'd rather send an email, please send it to visionaryleader at nebocompany.com. Now, back to today's program. Welcome back. I'm Kate Ebner. You're listening to Visionary Leader Extraordinary Life, and I'm talking with Terry Garcia, head of the Core Mission Programs at National Geographic Society. And before the break, we were talking about um, Jim Cameron's trip to the deepest part of the sea. We're t- we were talking about exploration. And, Terry, I, I'm really eager to talk about you and the, the extraordinary career in life you've lived. But I want to return first to the conversation we were having about um, the mindset of the explorer, sort of the qualities of, of someone who is... Um, passionate about exploration. And I wanted to just ask you if you could tell us a little bit more uh, or even give an example. Oh, I'd be happy to. And there are lots of them. Uh, but one, you know, one, one, one story that, that, uh, or incident that, that really stands out for me uh, involved a uh, conservation biologist uh, uh, who came to us, I was about 10 years ago, maybe a little bit more than 10 years ago now. Uh, his name is uh, Mike Fay, and he came to us with this, this interesting proposition. Uh, he was proposing to uh, do a transect. Uh, he wanted to catalog uh, all of the flora and fauna along a, a particular uh, uh, track, and what he was proposing to do was to walk from the eastern edge of the Congo to the uh, western uh, edge of Gabon to the Atlantic Ocean, uh, a journey of about 2,000 miles, uh, and he was going to walk it, and he was going to catalog everything that he saw along the way. And, of course, our first reaction was, <laughs> this guy is crazy, but what a fascinating story this is going to be. And so we talked to Mike some more about it, and you know, he laid out his plan, and he had clearly thought through this uh, and had been working on it for some time. And he also had uh, an objective in mind. In addition to the um, transect, in addition to understanding what's there, uh, he wanted to raise public awareness of what was happening because this, this forest, and it was truly 
at that time, one of the most pristine places on the planet and sort of the last little gem on the African continent. Uh, Mike wanted to uh, bring to the public's attention what was happening, that it was being logged, that it was being mined, and that we were losing this. And so we said, all right, Mike, let's go for it. And so we put Mike out there, and Mike walked and walked and walked uh, for more than a year. Uh, it took him almost uh, two years to finish this walk. He walked 2,000 miles through some of the most impenetrable uh, jungle and forest on the planet, and he saw amazing things. I mean, he, he saw animals completely naive to humans, uh, that, that a human had never been in this, this part of the, the world, uh, and he was able to record these images and bring them back to us. And when he reached the the edge of uh, the western edge of Gabon on the Atlantic Ocean, uh, you know, he was greeted by hippos uh, who were surfing in the water. I mean, it was, it was an amazing sight. And so we brought Mike back. Uh, and by the way, uh, th- this was a grueling trip. Uh, you can imagine walking through this forest. He contracted malaria uh, uh, on this journey. He uh, suffered through three bouts of malaria as well as various other um, afflictions along the way. But he was determined to finish it, and he did finish it. Uh, and we brought him back and said, Mike, uh, you know, let's, let's complete this project. You know, you need to catalog everything that you've seen. And Mike began his work, and we created a, a film. Uh, we did a three-part series in our magazine. Uh, and then we put Mike out on the lecture circuit. And, you know, I, I said at the beginning that he had a purpose here. He wanted to raise public awareness. Well, for a year... Uh, that's what he did. Uh, with our help, he went around and he talked, and anyone who would listen, uh, he told them about the journey, and he told them about what he had seen and about what was about to be lost. And at the end of, of, of a year, we received a phone call from the president of Gabon, uh, President Bongo, and he, he asked if Mike and the photographer who had been with him, Nick Nichols, could come and meet with with the president and his cabinet. And so the answer, of course, was yes. And Mike and Nick went and they met with the cabinet. They described uh, the project. They laid the images out for them. Uh, and I think it's fair to say that the president and many of his cabinet members were stunned by what they saw because they didn't realize what they had in their own backyard, or at least the full extent of it, the, the magnificent uh, uh, resources. Uh, and at the end of this, they said, the president said, we're going to set aside uh, 10% of the entire land area of Gabon uh, as a national park, uh, and it will be off-limits to development. And the reason I like to tell that story is that uh, the, the conservation achievement here, which was significant, was possible as a result of one individual, one individual's obsession, uh, Mike Faze, and his determination that he was going to go out there, do this walk, and then bring it to the public's attention and the media platform that we offered him. Uh, and, you know, any time that I'm feeling a little, you know, depressed or down about something, just think about that and that this one guy was able to achieve so much uh, in, in this, this year-and-a-half period. What a story, and what, a, what an outcome. 
from that from that obsession, as you called it. You know, and as we go back to this thought about the the mindset of the explorer, you know, it's that it's that um, passionate passionate idea, really, um, and a willingness to act. What did you call it? You said exploration is curiosity acted upon, and you think follow that through to the end and save an entire. Um, Precisely. I mean, this guy wanted as many people as possible to see that place and to fall in love with it, and that's what he did. And and when you are um, entertaining proposals like this, what what moves you to say yes? You know, what are you looking for? Well, we have a number of of, of doors that people come through uh, when they want to make a proposal to us. Uh, many of the proposals that we've received from scientists and from explorers are uh, focused on, say, a, a narrow area of research. Uh, one, of, one of the things that we do, and we do very well, is to fund basic field research to get an individual, a researcher, out into the field to take that first step, the critical first step that's necessary for all of the subsequent work that may follow. Uh, and so we receive many proposals like that that go through a, a peer review process and which is very rigorous, uh, and the the scientific standards are very high, and only a a fraction of those proposals ultimately receive funding. And then there there are other proposals like this one from that I just described from Mike Fay, where uh, the individual comes in with a big idea. Uh, a, it's it's risky. Uh, it's uh, possible that that it may not work, but it's very bold, and if it succeeds, uh, the consequences could be tremendous. And so it's, there's, there's, I guess it's, there's sort of an art to it. it it's, it's not as though there, there's a checklist that we look at, uh, but we're always looking for that big idea, for the next big thing. Uh, the next project that is going to push the boundaries of exploration or of human limits. And, you know, you have to go out and look for those. Uh, sometimes they come to you, and I've, I've had plenty of those as well where, you know, you get a phone call, and I've, I've learned never, ever uh, make a, a snap decision not to do something. Never, you know, if, even if it sounds crazy at first, don't reject it out of hand because you just never know. <laughs> so the decisions you might regret, Greta, is likely or maybe even more likely to be the ones that, where you said a snap no than the ones where you actually said yes to something. Absolutely. Risky. I mean, I, 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 it, it's hard to, uh, it's hard for me to think of, of decisions that that we made to uh, mount an expedition that I've regretted. Uh, it's. You know, you, what I fear is is not doing it uh, and missing that chance and not even knowing that you missed it. Boy, I have so many questions I'm, I'm wanting to ask you, and um, we have a couple minutes again before we we take a break. But I wonder, you know, I'm, I, I love the Society's mission to inspire people to care about the planet. It's so simple. It's so clear. It speaks to us all. I wonder, what does it mean to you personally, Terry? Well... You know, I often um, I often tell people that uh, we're 
we're not a media company, even though you know us by our, our magazine or maybe by our television, that our, our mission isn't to produce uh, magazines and our mission is not to um, uh, put on television documentaries, but rather it's, it is to inspire people and it's to really provide them with information that is useful and that they can use to change things if if they're so inclined we 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 don't advocate a particular course of action what we do believe is that um, to know the world is to change it and by providing information by shining a spotlight from time to time that we do have an opportunity to uh, elevate an issue. And uh, perhaps when we come back, I don't know how much time we have left uh, before the break, um, yeah. tell you about the, the, the incident that uh, really pushed us in the direction of doing more than merely documenting uh, what we're seeing, but bringing uh, to the attention of the public some of the key global issues that are now playing out uh, and that we feel people should be aware of. You know, you, you, know, you said we're not, a, we're not a media company, although we know you by the magazine, certainly, and the amazing photography, the, the television, you know, other other means, and I think that's one of the reasons I really wanted to um, invite you to be on the show because of the the difference that you're making out there in the world and that global perspective that National Geographic Society really has. Um, and I think it's a uh, it's interesting to think about what it means to inspire people. Um, so you know, you said to know the world is to change it, mm-hmm. and I think in the coaching process, you know, I'm sort of going to the very micro level, but we start with awareness. Right when you yes. when someone has greater awareness, they have new choices, and I think that that probably holds true at a macro level for what we can think about our planet when we understand and, and know it and have greater awareness. Well, and this this awareness has also impacted us um, because you, over the last century, uh, we've sent hundreds of explorers into the field. In fact, more than ten thousand now. Uh, and our explorers, our researchers, our writers and photographers, they've, you know, they've gone to every point on this planet. Uh, and when they return to us, they, they tell us their stories, they tell us about what they found, and of course we communicate that to our audience. Uh, but what we've seen over the last decade or so is that uh, as these individuals go out and when they come back, that invariably they come back as conservationists because what they're seeing out there is that the natural, cultural, and historical resources of this planet are slipping away. And that has had an impact on National Geographic and how we here uh, at the headquarters and in senior management, think about what we're doing, and it's influenced uh, our approach to business uh, and how we now view our role and what we should be doing. Well put. Thank you for sharing that. We're going to take a break, and when we come back, Terry, maybe we will actually talk about your career. <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> we'll be right back.
Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. Are you a business innovator or are you just sitting on the sidelines? Tune in every week for Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. Host Bonnie D. Graham talks to a cross-section of the movers and shakers who are leading by example. They will share best practices and innovative ideas to keep you thinking and moving along with the best. Join us for Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP, Wednesday mornings at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. These days, everyone is looking for information on staying young, healthy, and fit. The Voice America Health and Wellness Network is here to help you on your quest to better health and a better you. We talk about everything from diet, fitness, and aging to substance abuse, personal growth, mental health, and much more. Learn from our experts who cover health and wellness from traditional and holistic perspectives. Tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. Healthy living starts here. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to Visionary Leader Extraordinary Life with host Kate Ebner. We'd love to hear from you. Pick up your phone and call into 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. If you'd rather send an email please send it to visionaryleader at nebocompany.com. Now, back to today's program. Exploration is our theme this month, and I'm so pleased to have Executive Vice President of the National Geographic Society, Terry Garcia, with me on the show this morning. Terry is a leader whose perspective is sought nationally and internationally. He served in the Clinton administration as general counsel to the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration. He has been the commissioner for the National Commission on BP Deepwater Horizon Oil Spill and Offshore Drilling. He's currently the chairman for the Saltire Prize, Scotland's unique international challenge to um, discover revolutionary breakthroughs in wave and tidal energy. He has a a fascinating life and career, and we're very happy to have him on the show this morning. Um, Terry, before the break, we were talking about um, how exploration leads to conservation and how the, the thousands of explorers who've gone out into the field and brought back their uh, experience have helped to shape National Geographic Society's approach to what you're doing. Is there anything else you'd like to, to say on that topic? Well, you know, I, I, I wanted to make the point about how profoundly this has, has impacted us. Um, you know, sometimes the, the lines between reporting, educating, and advocate are, advocating are, are less well-defined than they would seem. And sometimes uh, this dispassionate objectivity uh, comes at a cost. Uh, sometimes, as uh, Jane Goodall, who is uh, an individual that we've supported uh, multiple times over the years, sometimes, as Jane said, we should not be objective at the expense of being human. And then sometimes the what we've found, the very act of telling the story changes the storyteller. And I think that's what happened to us. Uh, as I said, in the last decade, you know, we sent out hundreds of scientists and photographers into the field, and you know, they all are out there in search of the truth. And with very few exceptions, they've come back as conservationists because the truth that they found is that things are slipping away, that climates are changing, you know, habitats are shrinking, uh, whole species are 
teetering on the edge of, of extinction, and even languages. Uh, languages are being lost and, and at, a, at an alarming rate, and traditions are, are being forgotten. And so we made some adjustments in our mission so that our purpose now is to inspire people to care about the planet, and we're devoting our scientific and educational and media resources to see if we can't focus a little more attention on some of those key issues. And maybe by doing that, uh, we might uh, be able to move the dial a bit uh, from time to time on some of these key problems that we confront. Uh, so um, enough about that. Uh, yes, well, you know, it's, uh, it's a powerful point, you know, telling the story, being the storyteller, you know, changes the story as you live it. And Tell it, and I, I think that's a, a an important insight um, for us all to consider. I like the the link. I want to kind of make a link here mm-hmm. between um, the experience of exploring and how it changes one, and also um, you know those of us who receive um, you know the knowledge from the, from the expedition. You know, so the exploration changes what we know and how we see and the story that we have to tell. And that ultimately leads to, to conservation. And I, I think, um, you know, I, I guess where I, what I'm trying to get at with, with my thought is um, we're not passive. We're not um, pure science. You know, we are human beings responding to new information and new experiences and learning how to care about things maybe we didn't even know existed or were a problem. And at the beginning of our show, we talked a little bit about um, the golden age of exploration is upon us. You know, there's something very positive about that, even at a time when so much is being lost. Um, so, Terry, you are in what I think is probably one of the most marvelous jobs I've ever considered. Um, I know you started out as a lawyer, and you've had quite an extraordinary career, leading you to a position of influence at the global level, um, as well as putting you in touch with some of the most interesting people on the planet, I'm sure. Um, so I'd love for, if you could just tell our listeners about what you do and, and how you got there. Well, uh, what I do is, is I, I do believe that I have one of the best jobs on the planet. Um, my job is to oversee all of the field research, all of the exploration programs, all the expeditions, uh, the education programs, and conservation work of, of this organization. Uh, it brings me in contact with amazing personalities, uh, with uh, people that I, I, I must admit, uh, when I uh, began my career as a lawyer, I, I never thought I would be uh, working with these people or, or, frankly, meeting them. And so it's been quite a privilege to be here at National Geographic and have the opportunity to uh, to work side-by-side side with some of the greatest explorers uh, and researchers on the planet uh, and to, to visit some of the most amazing places uh, on the planet as well and do things that uh, most people can only dream of. Uh, but it didn't always, uh, it wasn't always that way. Uh, I began my career as a, as a lawyer uh, and practiced law for about 14 years. Uh, and people often ask me, well, you know, what kind of law did you uh, practice? It must have had something to do with the environment or something connected to the job. And uh, I think they're always disappointed when I tell them that, well, no, the, um, 
uh, I was a banking lawyer. Uh, I specialized in financial institutions and mergers and acquisitions. Uh, and so it's about the furthest thing you could imagine from <laughs> what I do today. Uh, and yeah, I was uh, a partner in a major law firm. Uh, in fact, uh, chaired the financial services group for for the firm, and uh, had a had a nice a nice career, a nice life uh, in Los Angeles with my wife and and uh, two young children. Um, and then one day. Uh, I received a call, uh, and it was from the White House. Uh, this is in the 1994, uh, and uh, the the thrust of the call was, "Well, we have this uh, position. Uh, would you be interested in in considering joining the administration?" And you know, my first reaction was, "I can't do that." Uh, I've I've got this life. I'm settled. I, I have um, all of these responsibilities. I'm a partner. I have young uh, associates reporting to me, and it's just you know it just doesn't fit with uh, with with where I'm going. And then I began to think about it, and uh, I had a, a visit planned to Washington, and so I you know followed up when I arrived in D.C. and. Uh, met with the administration people and talked about the job, and um, I was intrigued by it. It sounded fascinating. Um, it was with the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration. They wanted me to come in as, as general counsel. And so I went back to, to L.A. and talked to my wife, Mary, and uh, began to mull this over. And what occurred to me, what struck me was that if I continued doing what I was doing uh, as a banking lawyer, uh, I knew exactly where I would be 10 years, 15, 20 years from, from now. And I didn't want to wake up one day and, like so many people, say, why didn't I do that? Why didn't I take a chance? Why didn't I try out this new thing? And so it made the decision that, um, with my family's uh, support, that I would give up the partnership in the firm and we would move to Washington uh, and begin this, this, this new journey, this adventure, uh, doing something entirely different uh, and uh, in, a, in an environment, frankly, uh, quite different from the one that I was used to. And so we made that, uh, that move, and that really sort of set me on this path. And I, I, the, the, the point that I'm making is that I run into a lot of people. Uh, when I practiced law, I ran into a lot of lawyers who were unhappy, and typically uh, people who are unhappy with their careers uh, have had opportunities, but they've been afraid to take them. And the one thing that that I've tried to do over the course of my career is be open to opportunities, to new ideas, and be willing from time to time to take a chance uh, and jump into that that void and see what happens. You know, that's a that's a really important message, I think, for for all of us. I, as a coach, I talk to so many people who are on the brink of an opportunity and, you know, are naturally filled with anxiety or a sense of trepidation about giving up something that, that that's familiar in order to step into something new. Um, I'm curious about, as you think about this 
sort of life-changing decision to come to Washington, um, you know, what happened next? What, what, what <laughs> well, happened when I made the next? decision, uh, I received a number of calls from, from clients, from investment bankers and others that I worked with who said, are you out of your mind? <laughs> uh, you're going to do what? You're going to leave this partnership? And, you know, all of the things that go along with being a partner in a, a high-powered uh, international firm, and you're going to take a government job? You need your head examined. And um, I, I remember telling the senior partner uh, at the firm, uh, Chuck Manette, uh, what I was going to do. And he said, you know what? I understand completely. Uh, and I think you need to do it and you should do it. Uh, he said, it's what I would have done uh, when I was your age. And so I did it. And we moved to Washington. Um, in fact, I, I, one of my close friends uh, was also coincidentally going into the administration at the same time in another agency. And I remember for the first month or so, he and I would have a regular phone call at the end of the day where we basically would ask each other, have you figured out what you're doing yet? <laughs> and, uh, you know, the first couple of days was no, but over a period of time, of course, we did figure it out, and it was exhilarating. And we were in positions that afforded us the opportunity to deal with issues, to make decisions, and to impact policy that you just can't uh, replicate outside of, of the government. You know, I guess you have to be willing to be uncomfortable in order to go from the familiar to, to something new. Well, sometimes uncomfortable is good. Uh, and... You know, as as I say, I, I found it, uh, and maybe this isn't true for everyone, but I found it exhilarating, uh, and it, it was the notion of trying something entirely different, uh, of going to a new city, of dealing with issues that were of such importance, uh, and having an opportunity to make a difference. Uh, to me, that was more important than the money. Uh, more important than the secure lifestyle that I had had. And I don't regret one minute uh, of, of that decision uh, and the time that I spent uh, uh, in the administration. Terry, thank you for sharing that. We're going to take a break, and we look forward to talking again when we're, we come right back. Up-to-date business and financial news. Call now and get the financial information you need. 866-472-5790. 866-472-5790. The experts are here. Voice America Business Network. Are you an entrepreneur that wants to achieve more? Not just in it for profit, but to do work you find meaningful that adds more value to more people in more ways? Listen for Be More, Achieve More, inspiration for the entrepreneurial mind. With host Chris Cooper, you'll hear from successful achievers from around the world with the passion and experience to offer invaluable guidance. These people are making a difference and will help give you the motivation and insight to achieve more. Be More, Achieve More can be heard live Fridays at 8 a.m. U.S. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. What does a visual workplace mean to you? How does it contribute to operational excellence? And what steps do you take to put it powerfully in place? Listen to The Visual Workplace, work that makes sense to find out. 
Each week, Dr. Gwendolyn Galsworth, visual workplace expert and award-winning author, shares tools and strategies to help you make the workplace speak at a glance without saying a word. Learn to work safer, faster, better, and at far less cost no matter what business you're in. Tune in to The Visual Workplace every Tuesday at 4 p.m. Pacific, 7 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Business. The business community's first choice in Internet talk radio, Voice America Business Network. You're listening to Visionary Leader Extraordinary Life with host Kate Ebner. We'd love to hear from you. Pick up your phone and call into 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. If you'd rather send an email, please send it to visionaryleader at nebocompany.com. Now, back to today's program. Welcome back. I'm talking with Terry Garcia, the head of core mission programs at National Geographic Society, and we've been talking about his extraordinary career, actually, and the idea of taking a chance, you know, to opportunity when it when it comes. And um, as we kind of finish our, our time together, Terry, I wanted to um, invite you to talk a bit about you know, your vision and your leadership philosophy. Um, one of the things that uh, I hear from people who work at National Geographic Society is that over the past 12 years, you really have provided a vision and a perspective that has brought into alignment many elements of um, the, the, the work that's being done at National Geographic Society that you've been able to bring together, the educational, the scientific, mm-hmm. the media, you know, all of that in service to the, the big mission of the organization. And I want to give you a chance to talk a bit about um, how you see the future and what you think is sure. important. Well, you know, it's 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 awfully nice of them to to say those things about me. But really, what I've I, I think all I've done uh, in 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 leading the the team here is to empower people to do what they do best. Um, my management style is an open one. Uh, I'm I'm not a micromanager. I'd be terrible at that. Um, what I like to do is set the direction and then let people do what they do best uh and uh that has worked well uh and uh if you surround yourself with a group of talented individuals uh if you challenge them from time to time to be innovative to reach and most importantly not be afraid to fail uh from time to time uh, you can achieve some remarkable things, and I, I think that's what we've done. Um, you know, there, the, I wanted to leave you with a, a couple of things. One is just a, a quick story of a, a project that we had in Afghanistan, and it involved a treasure, uh, a treasure that had been presumed to have been lost. Uh, it involved some 22,000 pieces of solid gold jewelry from the Silk Road era. And it was discovered just before the Russian invasion in 1979, and then that was the last anyone heard of it. And so we went searching for this in uh, mid-2000, uh, uh, I along with one of our archaeology fellows. And uh, it's a long story, but the, the basic point of the story was that we did find it. Uh, and uh, it was intact. And the, the reason it was intact is that a small group of individuals, uh, the museum curators at the National Museum in Kabul, 
I had made a decision some 20 years ago that they were going to do everything in their power to protect the patrimony of their country. And so for 20 years, they hid this treasure from first the Russians, from then the Mujahideen, and then the Taliban, at great risk to themselves. And it was because a few individuals took on this responsibility that that treasure survived to this day. And so I've always found that very inspirational. It's one of my favorite projects, and I wanted to to mention that before our hour concluded. And the the other point that that I want to make and, and maybe leave people with this this notion is that as we speak right now, as as we're sitting here having this conversation on the phone, that there are men and women uh out there working in some of the uh most remote places on the planet, enduring unimaginable hardships, uh in pursuit of, of what's truly important. Uh, and most encouraging of, of all is that there are many more who, if, if they had the means, would be willing to go. And who knows uh, what those individuals might find, what they might learn. Uh, maybe there's somebody out there listening to this, this broadcast uh, who you know, has a dream and wants to make it a reality. And someone from our perspective who wants to do more than merely bear witness to what's happening, but you know, perhaps uh, write a, a new story for the planet. Uh, and that's, that's really what we're hoping to, uh, to achieve. That's, that's, that's what drives me every day. Yeah, that's a powerful invitation for people to receive, the invitation to, to, to turn their dream into a reality, um, to put it forward as a proposal, and to then, you know, put the blood, sweat, and tears behind it, you know, that you were just describing. And I, my uh, question, of, you know, is who inspires you? And I think you've answered it, but let me ask it again just, just so that you can, you can tell us, you know, who inspires you in your life and your leadership? Oh, you know, there's there so many. I, I mentioned the, uh, the those. I was I was so inspired by the individuals, uh, the curators of the National Museum in Afghanistan, who had risked their lives to save their their culture, to save what they thought was truly important. But you know, every day uh, when I meet the explorers, people who are willing to endure any hardship, who are willing to go to some of the most difficult places on the planet to pursue what they they feel is truly important. Those are the people that inspire me because they have a dream, they've got a vision, they have a, they're focused on, on that idea. Uh, and you can't help but be inspired by someone that is that passionate. Uh, and I'm in the fortunate position of seeing people like that every day, uh, which is also something that gives me and, and others here hope uh, because there are so many people willing to do that. You know, as, as, you've, as you've been on the show today, I, I feel like um, you've given us a rare opportunity to see what you see and to see out, you know, into the world globally. You know, and so interesting that you carry this global perspective, Terry, but it, it's a perspective that's informed by the work of individuals explorers and um, you know I love to think about the work that National Geographic Society does to bring resources to support these visionary individuals who want to make it the kind of difference you're talking about you know as I've listened to you 
begun to synthesize, if you will, a, a bit of a leadership philosophy that you have, and I'm going to play it back to you in our last mm-hmm. minute and have you tell me yay or nay. <laughs> <laughs> this is a risky move, perhaps, in my Go part, for it. Um, first of all, that exploration is curiosity acted upon, and that exploration inevitably leads to conservation, you know, a greater sense of stewardship and care for the planet and the, the place, the people, the culture. Um, the thought that you can do more than bear witness, and that a good idea, bold, risky, and one that has the high consequence of success, high consequences if success occurs, is worth investing in. To never make a snap decision not to do something, that those are the decisions perhaps we end up regretting the most, and that perhaps being objective um, isn't the only goal that science has. It's perhaps bringing a human perspective, a human lens, a, a care to what we learn and what we do with that learning. So those are some of the things that you have um, helped me to hear today. How did that sound? I think that's a very good uh, synthesis of, of what we've uh, just discussed. Um, you know, there are, are many scientists that I encounter uh, picking up on this theme who um, are in, say, mid-career, and they, they come to me and, and oftentimes will say, you know, uh, I could continue to do this and write yet another article, but you know I really know what the we know what the problem is now, uh, and we even know what the range of solutions might be. Uh, perhaps we could work together to begin to uh, illuminate some of those solutions for people uh, and again it's it's you know, it's why I keep coming to work. It's why I find this, this so interesting and challenging that in addition to uh, exploring these unknown places, we're also now starting to explore solutions to problems and that there are some amazingly talented and remarkable people out there who have great ideas uh, and we have an opportunity to help put those ideas out there for people to consider. Terry, thank you so much for joining me today and for kicking off our month of exploration. It's just been a pleasure to have you on the show. Oh, it's been my pleasure, and good luck with your month of exploration. Thank you very much. We sincerely hope you've enjoyed hearing from leaders who are using vision to create an inspiring future. Please join host Kate Ebner for another edition of Visionary Leader Extraordinary Life next Monday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Business Channel. Meanwhile, visit www.nebocompany.com.